0: Hi, Paul Slack, it's Good News Planet. We're going to talk about a group here, and it's even larger than themselves. Um, and they're involved with everything ALS. Um, Indu, I think uh, Navar, is that right? Uh, started the organization, and uh, um, she's out in San Francisco. We have Austin, Edie Friedman, he's in upstate uh, Connecticut, and we have Deb Fabric. Tori, who is in Florida. Yes. And I'm just in New York. So the thing here is we're going to talk about ALS. Is ALS the one that at one point somebody took water and they poured it over their heads? Yes, yes. the ice bucket challenge. The ice bucket challenge. So we have that on. We've done some ALS stories. Well, Indu, why did you start your group? So uh,
1: I'm a tech entrepreneur here in the Bay Area. And, um, you know, life had it, that it was really charming and everything my husband and I touched or worked on was very successful in the technology world, but, uh, you know, he started having, um, his symptoms, uh, of neurological uh, symptoms very early. Um, we caught it very early, but, you know, we went to the doctors and they said, well, you know, it could be fatal or it could be something very simple. We don't know. Come back after eight months. And that was our first shock that, you know, we could have something that's really that bad and there's nothing we do. And anyway, so it has it that, you know, it was like, oh, not ALS to, yes, it's ALS. Anyway, it took us two years to get diagnosed with a yo-yo of what it could be. And, um, and after that, uh, you know, the exhaustion of getting diagnosis, And after that, you know, going through the journey, he passed away in 2019, August 13th. And, uh, you know, he is um, one of the very early at Amazon. He invented Amazon Cloud. It was, you know, many other innovations. And one of the things we would talk about is how lack of innovation this disease has, Um, even though it's, uh, it's, it's really hard to diagnose and, Get treatments, but really we've not really progressed in terms of bringing in innovation, technology innovation, to the disease to do early diagnosis so we can actually treat the disease. So with that in mind, uh, I started this organization. Really cherry picked few people to start this with, uh, and most of us never met each other because it was COVID times. We all met online, and um, you know we started this organization and. Um, we're very pleased with the progress we're making because our goal and our mission is to bring in digital solutions, technology innovations to do early diagnosis and also for treating for the diseases, for
0: this disease. I'm so sorry to hear about your loss um, from this. Uh, and I uh, applaud you for uh, taking the loss and making it into a uh, uh, opportunity for others uh, to learn more about it, and uh, I think, I, I, well, I know I agree with you, uh, because I, I sort of think we have this, we have these things called apps now, and uh, all kinds of possibilities. I actually was 72 when I started at CVS, I, uh, the president of technology for CBS, said to me, you know, one day someone's going to be able to look at an operation, doctors all around the world, at the same time <laughs> and in essence you would think that uh that, and that's 72 and so what am i talking 50 years ago next year so are you saying with als we haven't seen that progress
1: no we have not
0: uh, that's bad news
1: we, we still diagnose <laughs> with very very old school um because we can't really find anything in imaging of blood or csf and um you know, P.S.F. means spinal fluid. So we do something called EMG and that is the very gruesome, putting needles in every muscle. And, you know, and you really can't do early because early you see some electrical signals, but you really are not enough to say it's ALS. So really we diagnose it when about 80% of the motor neurons are dead. So that is, you know, thinking about it as um, stage four cancer. Think about it as we're finding, we can only detect at stage four, and then we're trying to get treatments for stage four cancer. That would be impossible uh, task, right? So our goal is really to come up with ways to diagnose early and also get the clinical trial. So the other side of this problem is that when people have clinical trials, there's really no good ways to measure how people are doing. Um, It's really done in a very old school pen and paper, they ask you questions about, you know, how are you walking now or how how are you breathing now or how are you, you know, moving your hands so it's a very um, self reported way. So what we are building is really continuous monitoring of these functions, so we should be able to see minute small changes as to which in which direction it's changing.
0: Oh, this one yeah, and, and if oh, I could just go ahead,
2: Austin. Yeah, go on. if I could just add to um, what uh, Indu just shared, um, I think it's really important for folks to understand that ALS currently is a diagnosis of exclusion. Um, so um, Indu um, explained, uh, you know, the EMG process and how that is one of the tests that uh, definitive definitively points toward. Um, toward ALS. But to even get to that point, pretty much everything else has to be ruled out. And so it is an incredibly arduous, scary, confusing, frustrating process for patients and their families. And um, you know, I have the dubious distinction of um, being a person living with ALS. Um, I was diagnosed at the age of um, 36. I am now 38 Um, and it it really has been quite a journey, but part of what keeps me going um, and keeps me motivated is being involved in an organization like Everything ALS. I think the progress that we're making from a technological standpoint um, has really been remarkable. And I think anything we can do to further the science and the understanding and ultimately the patient care is really important to me as somebody suffering um, with ALS but also important to me because um, I've spent the vast majority of my career working in the biotech and pharmaceutical industries. So um, that that being said, that's what sort of leads me to to, to working with Indu and team and, and really excites me um, in the work that we're doing, and in the progress that we've made, and will continue to make.
0: How did, uh, uh, if, if 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 you care to share, how did you, uh, how did it begin this ALS for you, and and what did you do, and uh, you know how did how did we get to two years later?
2: Yeah, so so not uh, dissimilar to Indu's husband, um, it began. Um, Almost, almost like a blip on the radar. Um, for me, um, I had uh, sort of started this uh, health journey. Um, I stopped drinking. I started exercising. I had recently um, actually taken a new job and moved from New York to Boston. And um, I was out running uh, one day and I felt this very strange weakness in my left knee. Um, and I didn't think anything of it. Uh, and I actually ignored it. For um, about uh, four or five months, um, but it continued to progress. Um, saw my my physician. Uh, I was referred to a physical therapist um, uh, because they thought that uh, you know it was something um, uh, you know within my joints. Um, saw that physical therapist uh, uh, um, about four or five times, um, and then he. Uh, after the the fifth uh session told me that he definitely couldn't do anything that i was actually getting worse and i i knew that as well um uh, i i started to suffer from foot drop and um was falling inexplicably and um that sort of started the process to get me in to see a number of other doctors uh and then finally a neurologist um who ultimately ended up giving me that, that EMG. Um, and uh, she was so alarmed by the results that she saw that uh, she actually sent me to the emergency room. Um, and I was diagnosed uh, um, in the emergency room, like I said, um, right before my 36th birthday. Um, and you know, since then, uh, I, I continued to work for a good two years uh, post-diagnosis. I, I recently stopped working um, and am living every day. Uh, I'm uh, essentially a, a quadriplegic at this point in time. I rely on a, a power wheelchair and um, the assistance um, of my spouse uh, to do um, even the most basic things. I, I can't feed myself. Um, I'm lucky that I can still speak um, but, you know, using the bathroom, transferring, showering, getting dressed, that's all done with um, pretty significant assistance. And that's, that's pretty common uh, um, within the mid and late stages of, of, of most ALS patients.
0: What does ALS stand for?
2: Um, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, uh, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease.
0: So, do you see some some hope here, some optimism? Do you see anything, any medications, any kind of thing uh, happening?
2: Well, well, you know, I, I certainly would like to get um, Deb and Indu's sure. uh, perspectives on this as well. I personally do see hope um, as we move forward. I, I I think the reality of the situation, Paul, though, is that. I'm not sure I'll see it in my lifetime. And I'm I'm honestly okay with that, but um, because I've made peace with with my lot in life to a certain degree. But that's why I think the work that we're doing with everything ALS and other organizations is so critical because I think we're really on the precipice of something something big, but it's, 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 it's really about finding the will, finding the momentum, finding the energy around um, curing this disease. And, and I think we can get there eventually.
3: Yeah, I would like to jump in there, Paul. Um, my, I lost my younger brother to ALS in 2014. And from my perspective, it's not my brother's ALS anymore. And I just think that there is hope now. And it reminds me, um, Austin and I have talked about this. It reminds me way back in the day during the AIDS epidemic where it was a hundred percent fatal disease and you know there was no hope. And I ended up being a caregiver for a dear friend of mine because people were scared and everybody kind of left him. Um, and honestly, had he lived maybe another 11, 12 months, he'd be alive today because it was in that time that they discovered that cocktail of drugs that now makes the virus undetectable, and I, and when Austin used the word precipice, I think that's where we're at now. I don't know when it's coming, but I don't believe it's my brother's ALS anymore, and I do believe that, you know, and there's more people working together. Our group is extremely collaborative. Um, so, uh, Indu, your thoughts?
1: Yes, uh, you know, that's what we're doing what we're doing. And absolutely, I think, I think the timing is right. Look at what everything we've evolved in the last few years in terms of bringing in the technology to detect even the minute things. And what we need to do is in ALS, there is a lot of drugs and trials that's coming in, but what we don't have is easy way or a continuous way of monitoring um, this disease to figure out what are the changes that's happening so the FDA can actually see it, that there is actually a uh, changes. So the proving of whether this, this drug works or not is the underlying foundational problem that we have in this disease. So we're very optimistic that, you know, with Everything we've done in the last 12 months, we started the research on just observing speech for ALS patients to see if we can actually detect minute changes in, um, uh, you know, in the progression tracking. And in 12 months, we actually see the signal. We've done three publications. We're talking to FDA about how to make this as an FDA approved way of um, You know, doing early detection and also progression tracking during the clinical trials. So there is a lot we can bring to the table here in a very short amount of time.
0: Well, let me ask you. I mean, uh, is there? This is a worldwide disease, right? This is not an American uh, only uh, disease. Um, There's no. I mean, in addition to you guys, and and once again, I thank you for doing what you're doing. There's, there's no, you know, like i ju- just say these, I mean, American Cancer Society probably has, you know, lots and lots and lots and lots of relationships and they're pulling in this cancer information, that information, that information. There's no big guy, big guy, big girl out there that's overseeing this.
1: It was so shocking when we started going through it. talk that is nothing. This is how, it, it's called the orphan disease because by the time what, Uh, you know, very similar to what Austin explained, it takes about two years to go through this grueling process of diagnosis. And then once you have that, the disease itself consumes the family and the person. And, you know, after they lose someone, they just walk away from this disease. And it's a revolving door because it's such a short amount of time. It's like, you know, new people coming in. And really what we decided was, We've gone through this, and we've accumulated so much knowledge and information, and we want to stay in it. And it's hard. Every day is hard. We lose people that we get close to. We, we actually, you know, there's a lot of PTSD. We talk about it in our group, but we are here to commit to seeing the end of this because we believe that the um, what the knowledge that we've
2: accumulated is
1: what is needed. To really solve the disease, and
2: but 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 I I just want to I want to interject into I'm sorry I want to say I want to really point to why it's so critical to conduct something like the speech set study that we're overseeing and finding um, specific discrete digital biomarkers within ALS because I think it's important for people who don't understand or are not familiar with this disease, to to understand that in order to assess a drug's effectiveness, many diseases, especially in the cancer space, have made a tremendous amount of progress in pinpointing some of those symptomatic biomarkers, which can determine whether or not the, 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 the therapeutic is... Um, having an effect on the disease. We we don't have anything to point to that within the ALS space. And so um, until we have those specific discrete biomarkers, we're relying solely on subjectivity. There's no objective measure to determine whether or not somebody is progressing quickly or progressing slowly. Uh, So that's, that's really where we've invested our time and energy and our focus. And we truly believe that once we uncra- um, un unlock, um, you know, some of those discrete biomarkers, we're going to um, accelerate progress within, within this space.
0: Let me ask another uh, question here, because it seems, I don't know, you know, the government, our government, America, uh, gives a lot of money away our money away <laughs> to all kinds of things um there's opportunity at all with uh, getting you know supported you know presenting a uh, the study that you say you you know you're involved with right now i mean it i guess it does sometimes in life come to funding you know you know and the recognition and more people knowing about it so on and so forth is there are there opportunities for the government in addition to i will say people donate to the organization you're probably a nonprofit, Well, you can go over all that kind of stuff with us but i'm just wondering uh, is there any potential of finding money with governmental uh you know
1: outreach so we are um you know uh with what Austin said with speech is one uh, behavioral data that we're collecting because we're seeing the signal. We're putting a package together uh, to go apply for NIH grant in February. Mm -hmm. So uh, yes, it takes effort to say, you know, uh, so we need to do a lot of the groundwork to do it. Yeah, Um, definitely because the awareness is not there, the funding doesn't get allocated to ALS and there is a lot more uh, advocacy that needs to get done, that this is treatable disease, this is definitely curable disease, but we need to put more money into it to actually make it happen.
2: Uh-huh. And 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 I mean, I, I think another aspect of this, and we've talked a lot about this as a, a group within a, everything ALS, but I think, you know, there's still a, a, um, a significant amount of work that needs to be done. Um, a lot of the data um, that we've uncovered in uh, you know, the, the years that we've spent um, researching this disease is siloed and uh, is, 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 is not freely shared across different platforms and different organizations. And that's part of the problem too, because every time you start a, a brand new clinical study, or there's a, a compound that seems like it's gonna be promising, um, it's almost like we have to start from scratch. So that's, that's something that I think, you know, uh, the, the companies, government, the individuals can really spend a lot of time and, and effort to try to break down those silos and share that data um, I know that there are other organizations that are, are, are interested. I think it's RareX in particular, we're here to talk about everything ALS, um, but RareX is another organization that's looking to create a federated data platform that will help to share um, some of those learnings that have come to be through failed trials. And so, you know, that's part of, uh, you know, the effort that we really need to spearhead and champion as well as an organization and as uh, collective individuals. And also,
3: Paul, I just wanted to say with the speech study, kind of piggybacking on what Austin just said, you know, typically in the ALS space, studies were done with a very small amount of participants. And in our study, I I don't think it's really ever been done in the ALS space before. And this is the good news. We're close to having 1,000 participants. And people, you know, the good news is people are stepping up, people who have a connection to ALS, people who don't. And, you know, we're still taking participants. So we need, you know, 500 people diagnosed with ALS and 500 people as controls who, you know, are healthy individuals. Who want to spend 10 minutes a week just recording into their computer, but people are stepping up from all over the country, all ages, you know, and, and that really is a good news. And, and we are sharing the data, and Indu can give more of this information too. Um, we're working with uh, Mass General Harvard, UT Austin, uh MIT, just to name a few. So, you know, we are really kind of changing the dynamic in that way. Uh, you know, we started out as this little mouse that roared and we're becoming, you know, the lion almost.
0: Well, that's that's wonderful. Indu. maybe you can tell us how, how, how people can get involved with you, how people can volunteer for the uh, study, uh, those with, those without, as Deb just said. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. And uh, maybe you can, we can make this part one. And then maybe let's regroup uh, so, uh, three or four months from now. You know, We can talk again and update and let, let us know how you're doing. Uh, we'll think also, uh, we do a lot of pharma, I'll tell you that, uh, interviews. Um, and uh, so why don't you, uh, if you give us a synopsis here. And, uh, and we'll did you want to
1: give them my email that might go to more directly or... Yeah. So what, what, what we do is citizen science. So we citizens, patient community are coming together and we are doing this research project and we do all of the data platform, just like Austin said, this is an open data platform and we collect the data, we do the research. And then once we have that, we distribute it to many, many researchers. So think about it as supposed as to the time where studies have been done with 25 or 50 people over two to three years, we have actually collected over 700 people in less than 12 months and this is distributed across hundreds of different researchers all at the same time so this is how we're making it thousand x faster because a lot of the things that's happening in als is process locking like This is process is broken that the the data gets locked, it doesn't get shared with anybody else. So we are creating this open platform where this will be shared with many, many different entities that is neurologists, uh, AI, um, computer science, AI community to pharmaceutical companies and many other places. And the data is also shared with patients and participants. They can actually download all the data that they shared and also look at some of the key metrics as well in their progression so how are they how right. can they be involved um right. with this um, I'm gonna run any- out of time
0: on my zoom rule here
1: yeah. <laughs> so anybody with als or without als can get involved and anybody who is blood relative or non-blood relative or a friend or just want to volunteer so they go into everythingalsorg als.org research and they can read all about it. We have the speech project and we also have a project with uh, Microsoft Bing. And uh, you can also directly send email to deb at everythingals.org and or info at everythingals.org. So please go into everythingals.org and either send us an email or go into research and give us, um, contact us and we will actually enroll you in the study uh, if you're eligible. And anybody- over Or 18.
3: answer any questions. And the eligibility is be over 18 and have a United States address.
0: Okay. Well, you are three heroes uh, for me, uh, helping others. It's a beautiful, beautiful um, uh, outreach of your soul and your caring and love for others. Um, and I wish, uh, Austin, I wish uh, speedy recovery. And Ndu and Deb, thank you for, you know, sharing, you know, very personal scenarios and uh, um, forward motion, that's that's all we can do. And uh, and that's what you are doing. So I congratulate you all. And uh, we're honored to get a chance to speak with you all.
3: Thank you, Paul. Thank you for what you're doing.
0: Okay, happy holiday season to you all.
3: Thank you.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.